0: Welcome to Disseminate, the Computer Science Research Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Wardby. I'm delighted to say I'm joined today by George Theodorakis, who'll be talking about his VLDB 22 paper, Scabbard, Single-Node Fault-Tolerant Stream Processing. George was a PhD student in the Large-Scale Distributed Systems Group at Imperial College London, and he recently submitted his thesis. And he also recently joined Neo4j in their research lab. George's research interests lie in the areas of distributed and parallel computing, database management systems, and stream processing engines. George, thanks for joining us on the show. Uh, Yeah, thanks for
1: having me. It's interesting to to discuss about our latest work on stream processing. Brilliant, let's dive straight in then. Um, Can you start off by explaining to the listeners what stream processing
0: is and
1: what its common use cases are? All right, cool. So in the last years, we've seen like an explosive growth of uh, data volumes and velocity, and at the same time we've seen the emergence of uh, kind of a new type of applications that are long running. These applications run for hours, for months, for days, for like uh, even years, if, if you can make them work that way, uh, and execute con- continuously. So they execute as new data arrives. Uh, and this data can be possibly in the form of infinite streams, right? So. You, you have to deal with, with the problem of data that are infinite. You don't know their size in advance. Uh, so, so, pretty much, this is stream processing. It's, it's the processing paradigm that allows you to, to process real time data that are infinite. According to estimates, we, we expect like 30% of the data in the future to be produced and analyzed in real time. And this makes uh, stream processing a paradigm that is uh, established between transactional processing, online analytics, and reporting. Uh, so some common applications for stream processing are high-frequency trading, uh, card fraud detection, sensor monitoring, and the, the common characteristic of s- these applications is that, apart from having to deal with very high throughput of uh, data, you also have to report in sub-second uh, latency. You have this requirement where you have to re- respond very fast, and Whenever you delay your responses, you get you have adverse effects. So, for example, in the case of health monitoring, you get, you have to respond within seconds, right, in order to to matter. Or in, in, in the case of high frequency tra- the trading, you you have to the significance of your results decays with, with over time. So you have to respond as fast as possible to make more profit.
0: Awesome. So, how did you end up researching in this
1: area? Uh, so, yeah, I'm, like six years ago, I was trying to find a topic uh, for my undergrad thesis. And I, it happened that I worked with some people from Imperial, Imperial College London at the time. So, they just had published their stream processing engine and we want to collaborate with them. Uh, so I worked with a system they had back at the time, trying to do stream query optimization at the logical and physical level. And they use Apache site which is uh, an extensible data management framework. Okay. Nice. So yeah, we, we worked on how we parse uh, stream queries, how we optimize them. And at that time, there was also this hype with Apache Flink, Spark, and Kafka. So uh, I decided it would be cool to work in the field also, one of the reasons that I, I chose the field was that back at the time it wasn't that mature. Right, yeah. So there was a lot of space to experiment and try things that people haven't tried.
0: Cool. So let's dive into the paper then. Can you tell us what is scabbard? And am I pronouncing it right?
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so uh, it's, it's a. Yeah, it's. So, so scabbard is like a, a holster for your sword, right? Okay, Something To, right, to protect yeah. your, your weapons. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, we, we have like this this thing that we we name our projects after weapons. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the initial project was Saber. Then its extension was Lightsaber, and then Scabbard is like the one that protects the Lightsaber. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so it, we, um, we we had this single node engine, this single uh, node system that uh, ran efficiently on multi core systems. And we wanted to make it fault tolerant. So uh, this means, by by fault, okay, that's the bug for the context. Fault tolerance uh, means that uh, we have to be able to handle failures because we are running our software in either local clusters or on on, in, on the cloud. There are cases where things can fail uh, uh, either because of bugs or because the node crashed. Right, so you have to be able to handle failures and hide their effects completely Uh, and we try to design a system that can achieve this in a single node Which is kind of counterintuitive Given how people are doing this.
0: You mentioned earlier on uh, systems like Apache Flink and uh, and Whatnot, so they're distributed stream processing engines, and this is a single node stream processing engine. Can you explain What the differences are between those these two systems?
1: Yeah Uh, system like uh, Apache Spark or Flink adopt a certain nothing execution model. Um, and their whole design allows you to uh, parallelize your computations to many nodes. You get not for free but easier uh, features like fault tolerance. Uh, they have very nice APIs, they are mature, you can do many stuff with them. Uh, but because of their design, they face many challenges. The first challenge they face is that because we are now uh, doing computations over the the network, we have to pay the price, right? So we have cross-process and network communication overheads. We have to serialize our data. We have to design our data structures and our algorithms with a different way. We don't have shared memory. So we, we increase our resource and maintenance footprint, definitely. So this is one challenge. The second challenge is that because we are over the, over the network, we cannot really have predictable performance guarantees. So earlier I mentioned that mainstream processing applications require very low latency, and this cannot be, you cannot like guarantee this when you do processing over the network, okay. when you try to scale very high-throughput uh, streams. And uh, one third issue is that uh, many parallel computations many uh, operators are very hard to parallelize efficiently uh, in a distributed environment. For example, aggregations with windows. Uh, so, so windows are, is a form of a structure that allows you to process this infinite data. So in the case, for example, of window aggregations over windows, uh, when you do them in parallel in, in a distributed environment, you have to either perform redundant computations or you have to approximate your window results because you don't have uh, a global clock in distributed environment. I, I think the most important bit is that you, you have to pay the, the tax of distributed execution.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of the cost paper, right? Um, yeah,
1: it inspired us a lot yeah. uh, for uh, our project. Um, so yeah, and at, at the same time, you see that there's this this rise of uh, shared multi-core CPUs where you have many, many CPUs, many sockets, and you have terabytes of memory, you have accelerators like GPUs, FPGAs, so you can do a lot of a lot of stuff with a single node. right? Yeah. Uh, you can optimize for latency, you can optimize for throughput, you can redesign your, argor- your algorithms, your data structures, and also now with uh, the high-speed networking that's been enabled by RDMA, Remote Direct Memory Access, you can ingest a lot of data, and you can even perform fast storage to r- remote disks. So. A single node can handle a lot, and usually, from most of the uh, use cases we've seen, where you have to, to handle h- hundreds of gigabytes of data, you can fit them in a single node. So it's it's possible to to have this as an alternative.
0: Okay, cool. So you kind of summarised in your last answer there what the advantages of of these single node stream processing engines are, but what are the the significant sort of downsides what are the pitfalls and that have maybe limited the adoption of single node stream processing engines in in practice
1: what i didn't would have forgot to mention before is that with uh, with sin, with single node implementations that we've seen from, mostly from academia uh, you get usually at least an, an order of magnitude better performance in terms of throughput and latency so this is the benefit that you get when you don't have the tax of uh, distributed execution. So, I mean, these are all nice, but nobody really uses these system in, systems in practice. And that's mainly, we think that that, that happens mainly because they lack fault tolerance mechanisms. Uh, as I said earlier, when you, when you run continuously and long-running applications, uh, there's a higher chance that you your you node know is going to fail and you have to... Uh, restart and uh, like produce correct results for many applications that uh, it really matters. I think that one of the, the biggest drawbacks is that they, they don't have they, these systems don't have built-in fault tolerance mechanisms. And uh, while the Stroman solution would be to just like take the the approaches from distributed execution and plug them into single node, this would end up blowing up again the your cluster size, right? Because you you will need. Many nodes to perform persistence. Many nodes to—I mean, the, the way they are implemented right now. Many nodes to, to to perform persistence or recovery or or, or, or the thing, all the bits that are part of the fault tolerance uh, mechanisms. Uh, so we in the paper we had this uh, interesting experiment where we're using a single node system, and we so, so this system could ingest like tens of gigabytes of data per second, right? And in order to make it fault-tolerant, the, simple, the simplest solution would be to use something like Apache Kafka to persist our input streams so that we can replay them when they fail. And we noticed that for some, for such use cases, we would need like a cluster of at least 20 Kafka nodes to persist the data streams that we needed. So, yeah, it, it, yeah, it, it kind of <laughs> comes back to the, the efficiency um, yeah. uh, argument, right, and yeah, but if you have a single node and then you need 20 Kafka nodes, you end up in a distributed environment again. that's so. that's square one, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. So, kind of,
0: I guess, yeah, building off that, um, what were the design goals that you had in mind when you were developing Scabbard?
1: So we already had a
0: system that had the very high throughput and low latency. Yeah, maybe you could maybe mention the, the previous, because you mentioned earlier yeah, on the yeah, journey yeah. from sort of, what was the first one? The first one was called Saber. Then Light Saber, then Scabbard, right? That's, yeah. the one, that's the flow. So yeah, maybe cool. we can talk about those. Yeah. so, didn't so, so, so yeah. I
1: didn't work with Saber. I mean, I, I didn't work uh, on that paper. So Saber was like the first step that was trying to utilize a single node with GPUs. Okay. Uh, and do this. Uh, it was designed to like schedule tasks on both CPUs and GPUs and run around the, them uh, in parallel. And Lightsaber was kind of uh, the next step, uh, an optimized version of Saber, trying to use NUMA execution, SIMD in instructions, uh, code generation. So we had like this this system, this efficient multicore system. There are many similar to that, right? Uh, it, it wasn't just this one, and we just wanted to. Uh, to en- so we already had high throughput and low latency. We just want to ensure that we can still have these performance guarantees during the execution that doesn't have failures, which is like the common case, right? So whenever we didn't have failures, we just want to ensure that we have these requirements. Yes. And we and okay, the second design goal had to do with uh, with the limitations that we have to de- deal with in a single node. Uh, so when, when you're in a single node, you have limited resources in terms of network and disk bandwidth, so you, you have to be careful of how you use these resources and how which data you choose to store and which data you choose to like ship over, over the network. So yeah, our second uh, design goal was to deal with these limitations. And the third goal was to guarantee fast recovery, because we are in, uh, in a single node environment. Of, of course, we don't have high availability, but we have to... Because we have a single point of failure, we have to provide subsecond recovery so that we decrease the downtime of the system when it's running. So, yeah, I have performance guarantees, deal with uh, a limited resource of a single node, and guarantee fast recovery. That was the key goals.
0: Cool. So, I guess, how did you go about addressing these, these design goals? What's the key idea underpinning the Scabbard? And um, yeah, let's start, with, let's start with that and then we can dive into I know in the paper you say there's three main contributions and we can talk about those in a second. But yeah, what's the kind of key idea that you, you, you had to address these design goals?
1: So when we're trying to, to, to implement the system, okay, uh, a step back, which is something I haven't mentioned properly. Um, when, you're, when you're in the streaming world, in order to achieve fault tolerance, you have to persist at least all your input streams, so that you can replay them and cut the correct recovery state. And as an optimization, you can always checkpoint your your operator state, so that you can cut down from your input streams. Now, in our context, in a single node execution, you were ingesting streams in the order of gigabytes per second, and also your state would reach the same uh, magnitude, right? So you would have to persist per second tens of gigabytes, right? And this would have to happen with uh, SSD disks, simple disks, that have a bandwidth lower than gigabyte, probably. So like commodity disks, you can find. And you already see that there's a bottleneck there, right? You cannot like, store all of this data with a single SSD, right? And while you don't have this problem with distributed execution because everything is partitioned, everything uh, works fine in a single node, that, that was our, our key issue, right? So the idea that we try to... Uh, the, the, the main idea behind Scabart is that you have to reduce what you store to disk in order to accelerate fault tolerance. And you have to do it in in a, in a matter that, is, uh, that adapts to different workloads. So it has to be adaptive to different workloads so that you can get uh, the best perf- performance possible.
0: Cool, so let's, let's go through the, the main aspects to, to, uh, to achieve in this. So the, the first thing you mentioned in the paper is this idea of a persistent operator graph model. Can you tell us more about that?
1: Yeah, for, for our first contribution we uh, wanted to come up with a model that allows us to have the right abstractions to perform persistence and fault tolerance in single node. So we wanted to integrate the, the persistence with the query execution so that we perform a series of optimizations. What this mean, what this really means is that we have encoding persistence as an operation in our uh, data flow graph, execution data flow. And therefore, we can reorder persistence as you could reorder, for example, um, a filter or a projection. And we can apply it after... Uh, we have discarded data with highly selective operators. So we can, for example, when we try to persist our input stream, we can persist it after we have applied filters, projections, or we have applied compression, for example, that I will discuss next. And we can also identify opportunities where we can even inject operators like projections so that we can uh, reduce what we store to disk. Yeah, we have this set of optimizations and then we have the abstractions that allow us to to efficiently persist uh, both the data streams and the operator state that I mentioned earlier we want to persist. And we also have some abstractions that allow us to coordinate all these operations. And based on all of these abstractions, like the coordination abstractions and the persistent abstractions, we build a, a protocol that allows us to provide exactly one's output. Now, what this means is that we can uh, in, in, in the event of failure, we can prov- we can hide completely its effects and provide the exact same results as if nothing happens. And yeah, I mean this model tries to capture only the, um, the essential information that you need to persist disk so that you can recover with exactly one's output.
0: Okay, cool. So once we have this model, then the, the sort of the next component of Scabbard is this query-specific
1: adaptive compression. Yes. How does this work? So I mean, after after doing the, the optimization from before, where you discard data and you pick what you're going to store from your streams and your operator state, we found out that there was still this was still the bottleneck, right? So the most natural thing to to go after then was compression. So we decided to compress whatever was left to be stored for disk, what was essential for us to store to disk, and we decided to, to go for uh, adaptive compression. Now, because, as I mentioned earlier, we have to deal with long-running applications, we also have to deal with changing data characteristics. So it was essential for us to uh, capture these changes by collecting lightweight statistics at runtime, and choosing the sweet, most suitable compression algorithm based on these statistics. Because our, our initial system was using code generation for the, um, uh, all the other operations, we decided to use also code generation so that we can reduce the overheads when you inject new compression schemes into the operator graph. And, and yeah, this is how the, the adaptive compression uh, bit comes from. Cool. So what sort of statistics do you gather and... Add, I mean, yeah. it, it, it's, it's very simple. It's it's about the data distribution. So we, for example, we gather minimum, maximum values at runtime, or we gather, for example, we use, try to use run length encoding, if it makes sense. So we gather how many consecutive values are equal. Yeah. Statistics like this. So yeah, it's, it's it's pretty very basic statistics, but still they, they help us so identify which algorithm to choose. And sorry, uh, one last yeah. bit that we collect is that we measure is, is the bit precision for integers, and this allows us to to pick the right algorithm to compress integers even All better.
0: Cool. I was going to ask, how does this these statistics then map to the choice of algorithm you use, and kind of what algorithms are supported, and how what is better for what is kind of the. What I'm I asking. mean,
1: we don't have the. Proper optimizer there. It's yeah. just like we ha- we have probably two or three different algorithms for different data types. For example, for integers, for floats, for uh, it's not it's not actually a data type, but for t- timestamps are considered as a data type or for um, strings. But uh, it's yeah the, the logic of how you choose different algorithms is very simple. So basically we 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 had some. Um, uh, we, we did some analysis and we figure out which algorithm to choose depending on your bit precision, uh, your, uh, uh, as I said before, how, how many sequences of equal values you have, and so on. So yeah, we just, just do have a greedy approach of picking the right algorithm. I
0: guess it's maybe a, an area for future research. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Cool. And I guess the,
0: we've got the persistent operator graph model, the query-specific adaptive compression, and the last thing that is a big contribution in the paper is the efficient failure recovery mechanism. So can we dig into that a little bit? Uh,
1: I mean... how it fits
0: in with everything else, I guess, right? Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah.
1: So it's the other two are kind of more uh, conceptual contributions, so yeah. high level. This is kind of more an implementation one. So uh, uh, it's kind of uh, the, the third contribution that you have to put in your paper just to <laughs> submit it, I guess, <laughs> yeah. in a way. Uh, so yeah, I mean... As I said earlier, you have to recover fast, right? So we were trying to optimize this path of recovery, and we so when we spin the system, you have to generate code for different operations, for your compression, for your operators, and so on. And all these things take time. So we figure out that instead of like going through all the optimization phases all over again, trying to generate the code, we would just like we could just store the binaries and then load them. So this saved us a lot of time and we also optimized checkpoints so that we can perform them frequently without disrupting execution and by performing frequent checkpoints you kind of optimize for recovery so you, you can um, recover without having to replay a lot of data. And finally we have a garbage collection mechanisms that deletes data that you don't want when you rec- to load when you recover so we try to minimize the amount of data overall that you load from disk and how much time it takes to spin up the system.
0: Cool. So I guess we mentioned implementation there, so let's talk about the implementation a little bit more. So there's this, there's this like path between Saber, Lightsaber, and Scabbard. How did you go about implementing Scabbard? Is it all in the same code base? How, how does it all fit together? How did you go about implementing it?
1: Okay, so... We implemented Scabbar atop Lightsaber. So Lightsaber was written in C++, and we used its query execution engine, its compiler, and we extended them. For example, we extended the compiler of Lightsaber to generate additional types of tasks. So we generate tasks for persistence, for compression, for checkpointing, and we tried to uh, integrate everything as a task in our system. Uh, we also I- implemented some, some features regarding networking, like uh, how we do data ingestion or how we send data using RDMA just to to make it uh, faster. So anyway, everything in in the system is a task, like from networking to persistence to compression to how you you, uh, execute the queries. And all these tasks are executed asynchronously. And this helps our system design because you can hide all the latencies from disk and network and you can uh, better utilize uh, the underlying hardware. So everything is a task. Everything can be executed by all the cores that we have. Every every core in the system is a worker. And we also optimize for locality. So all the tasks, the workers that are closer to the data will try to execute the tasks. And only if they don't have work, they will fetch something from uh, another circuit. So yeah, th- th- this was the way to integrate the or, all our logic with uh, Lightsaber, just like to 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 make everything a task and uh, have all the workers trying to uh, so, uh, having all the workers pushing the the state of the system forward.
0: Okay, cool. So, so is it? Uh, can I use Lightsaber without Scabber? Is it pluggable, or did it basically have they now forked and there are two independent systems, or can I turn it off and turn it on again? Or has it been a complete, obviously, refactor of the original system so it's something different now?
1: So um, the only thing that you have to do is that you have to set some flags okay. in your operators to make them fault-tolerant right, or to your data streams. And then, I mean, yeah, the, the API is not clean at all, but you have to set, let's say, some flags, and you, you choose either whether to use lightsaber or scabbard. Okay, so did, did, if say, did scabbard pre,
0: sorry, yeah, lightsaber pre scabbard, did, as adding that code in, if if I turn off the flags, is there any overhead there by, since the reef, since you've added scabbard in, or if, do I, am I basically getting uh, lightsaber as a baseline and then I'm just kind of losing a bit of pot performance by adding scabbard on?
1: So, uh, yeah, definitely I haven't engineered the code that well, but, um, No, don't it, say it, that it's it, it brilliantly engineered I'm sure. It, it <laughs> uh so yeah it just uh, if if you don't set the flags just you just like follow the lightsaber let's say code okay. path and that's it you don't have any Okay it. so you, you get it like as it was okay that's fine.
0: Cool. So what was your approach to evaluating Scabbard and what were the questions you were trying
1: to answer? Cool. Okay. So okay the first the first que- the first thing that we wanted to answer was Whether, I mean, after doing all these optimizations, all these new abstractions and all these things in a single node, whether its performance was comparable or better to existing state-of-the-art solutions, like Apache Flink, for example, that is fault-tolerant, right? And we wanted also to see what's the overhead that we added. I mean, you mentioned earlier the overhead. We want to see what's the overhead compared to a system that doesn't have, that's efficient single node system and doesn't have uh, fault-tolerance. So this this is the first part, like our end-to-end uh, experiment uh, in terms of fault tolerance to see its overhead and how it compares to state-of-the-art approaches. And the second question that we want to answer was whether our approach of persisting data, like data streams, was comparable or better to an approach like the one uh, used by Apache Kafka. So yeah, Apache Kafka is like this uh, distributed messaging queue that people use to persist their uh, data streams. So, I want to to compare with that.
0: What was the experimental uh, experimental setup? And you mentioned there what you compared uh, scabbard against. But yeah,
1: what are the what are the results? So, b- by setup, do you mean like uh, the workloads and where you ran yeah, experiments? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, what the, what were the
0: experiments you ran basically? I, mean, I can reframe it as that if you want. Like, what were the experiments you ran?
1: Okay, uh, uh, so um, I mean, in, in stream processing, you don't have benchmarks to use like yeah, TPC-C, yeah, or tpc or whatever. Sure. So people just like make up their own benchmarks or they use some some that are not really good. So um, yeah, we, we just like went with ten different queries that capture different operations like filters, joins, uh, aggregations, windows, and so on. And uh, we we in the paper we have a, we have results from both our local cluster, where we run experiments with RDMA, and also from uh, AWS, where we run experiments using uh, EBS for remote storage, because we also want to verify that it works with remote storage in case that you have a failure and you have to start up in a different node. Uh, So yeah, we just hijacked uh, AWS uh, hardware there. So um, yeah, I mean, for for the first question, for the end-to-end experiments, used Apache Flink, which is state-of-the-art, but it, it's a distributed uh, Java-based system. And we also used LightSaber just to, to see the overhead compared to a system that doesn't have dollars at all. Now compared to Apache Flink, we got at least an order of magnitude better results in terms of throughput and latency. And compared to LightSaber, we saw, uh, on average, a 30% performance degradation in terms of throughput. And close to eight times, I think, if I remember correctly, worse latency because we're adding in the path the disk. So the throughput was good, but yeah, you have to wait a little bit more for acknowledgements from the disk in order to continue with the processing in many cases. Cool. Did you run any experiments to kind
0: of measure how fast things recover? And did you compare, did you do like a recovery experiment to see how quickly things came back online and failures occurred?
1: I mean, I didn't Don't try. know what that test would look like, even. But did you explore that? Yes, I, I didn't try. I mean, we tried flink, but the results were really bad, so we didn't include. Yeah, we didn't include the, the graph there. Uh, we kind of cheated in our recovery experiment. So, I mean, in order to have like a proper recovery solution, you should be able to have uh, a module that can can discover that you failed. Which it's, I guess, it's the most expensive part, right? Because you, you you are never sure whether you failed or not, and I guess you can do it with timeouts or something like this. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. There's some solution there, right? Yeah. 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 Anyway, so we skip that part and we just measure how fast we can recover from the point that we fail, assuming that we, we instantly know that we can we failed and we have to, to yeah. recover, right? And in that case we had sub-second recovery latencies, which was, yeah, really good. As I said, we, we optimized for it because we just reloaded everything from this, like the binaries yeah. and all, all, yeah, all the code for compression and the compression was there, so you, you, you knew how, what to do. So, yeah, th- that was an experiment for recovery. I mean, it, it wasn't an end-to-end experiment. It was kind of a micro-benchmark, but, yeah. Oh, it still. gives you a flavor of how, how it would perform in practice, right? Yeah. Which is, which is good.
0: So that's kind of obviously all of the headline results of, of, the, of your experiments. But are there any situations in which Scabbard's performance was suboptimal? I kind of, the question I'm kind of getting
1: at here is what are the general limitations of Scabbard? It's an academic project, so it has many limitations, I guess. So first, in our, in our uh, exactly once protocol, we assume that the sync, so the sync is the, the receiver of the results, the SYNC participates in the, the protocol. So the SYNC has to... We are sending to the SYNC some metadata that the receiver, that would allow it to perform the duplication. So when, we, when you recover and you start sending again your, your results, you may send some duplicate results. And in our protocol, the receiver is responsible for dropping these results with simply consumption because you may not be able to, to handle this logic. So if it couldn't ha- handle this logic, then we would have to end up with something like distributed transactions. And then we go back to distributed execution again, and yeah, it's, yeah, the, sa- the same issues. But maybe you can, so, so maybe a way you could do it is that you, you could offer it as a service, and you could have probably main, many scabbard nodes for many users and handle it, handle distributed transactions in, a, in such an environment where you you wouldn't have like, the overhead of a single node having to deal with tra- transactions. The second limitation is that we we cannot deal with non-deterministic operators. So imagine that you have an operator, for example, that does and a- accesses some external database. Yeah, we, we cannot definitely handle this. Because in such case you will have to track down some additional metadata and replay and when, when you do a replay, when you restart, you have to be sure that you uh, everything happens again as it happened earlier. So you have to track your history and track more metadata there. Uh, so yeah, that would be an extension. And we also cannot handle out-of-order data. So um, what this means... Okay, so we assume that everything comes in order. So everything is... You would you never find a tuple that has a late timestamp, okay? So your data is ordered by timestamp and you assume that everything, is, everything that comes is in order by uh, the timestamp that you have, right? So if something comes out of order, it would break our execution engine. So Lightsaber was designed to be in order and because we built on top of Lightsaber, we just didn't try to extend it towards that, that area. So um, to, to extend our system for out-of-order data you would have to introduce some additional markers, some special tuples. Okay? And these tuples would tell you how far you've reached in your data in terms of the timestamp. So it will tell you, for example, that you've seen all the data up to minute 10 or something. So you know that you, it's safe for you to do all the operations up to that point. Uh, so yeah, th- these are the, I think the three most important limitations that we have. Okay,
0: cool. So, is is uh, is Scabbard publicly available? Can I go and get my hands on it and I can play around with it if I if I so please?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean uh, we you can find like the the link for the GitHub repo in the paper. Cool. Uh, and so we'll yeah. we'll
0: link it in the show notes as well, so okay, yeah, the
1: listener can go and find it. Even better, yeah, yeah. you yeah. can find it, yeah. yeah.
0: Cool. So, kind of, I guess, building on that theme, if I was to go and play with it and have a mess around with it, as a, I know you said it's only a, an academic project, so it won't be as, um, as, uh, say, as, uh, as, uh, usable as a as a commercial system, say. Um, but how do I? What's my interactions with Scavenger look like? How do I go about writing applications on
1: top of it? As you said, it's an academic paper, uh, academic project, right? So, I I'm the only one who spend time writing code. And I'm probably one of the few people that have used it. So um, now, after this podcast, everyone uh, yeah, listens okay. You will go it, crazy. So okay, yeah, cool. yeah. so I have to fix many things. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, it, it has a, an, an imperative API. So you you kind of like define your operators. You can define filters, projections, joins, aggregations, and you kind of chain them together. So that, you do, uh, that, so that you have pipeline parallelism. It's kind of similar of how you would create, for example, in Spark or Flink or uh, Storm, uh, your, your pipelines. But it's, yeah, much more rough. Okay, cool, but uh, it bears resemblance to that, obviously. Yeah, okay. So yeah, I mean, we also have some, some uh, I mean, all the benchmarks, we've implemented all the benchmarks and have the code in the repo, so you can find and use them as let's say, your base to build something that looks like these applications.
0: So, I guess, my, my next question is, what was the the most interesting, and I ask this to everyone, what's the most interesting and perhaps maybe unexpected lesson that you learned while working on Scabbard?
1: I mean, I was, when we started the project, I was very pessimistic because uh, I, I wouldn't expect to get good performance while persisting so many data on this. So... In a way, like having um, this, this, like, I mean, it's, it's not minor, but this small performance degradation while you store s- such, such a, an amount of data on disk was kind of unexpected. So yeah, that was like a really nice result of how you can multiplex data storage with query execution without affecting performance.
0: Cool, cool. So yeah, I, I guess you you're very pessimistic at the start of the project. And progress in research is very non-linear, right? There's a lot of ups and downs. So kind of from the conception of the initial idea for Scabbard to the publication, I guess, how long did, this t- did that take and what were the things along that journey that you tried, that failed, that maybe other people in this area could benefit from knowing? Uh,
1: okay, so I didn't have any experience on, in fault tolerance before, so I had to learn everything the hard way. And I was very naive at the beginning on how you can perform, for example, checkpoints. Um, so in, in our first submission that got rejected, of course, uh, we were... I was trying to have a more general model when you can checkpoint different data streams and different operators without synchronization, which at the time I thought it was very cool, but it was very hard to reason about because when you were recovering, you would end up in scenarios where you, your state was not consistent. So you would have to replay the whole thing from scratch. So uh, that was a, an issue but uh, i found that also I, I had many issues with the implementation so i thought that i was very smart and i could do very fast like um lock-free programming and use like very smart data structures for doing checkpoints while doing processing at the same time in shared memory data structures and yeah i failed miserably so yeah my code was full of concurrency bugs and i had to go back to using locks and doing like the simple things. And in the end of the day, this was just like premature optimization. Uh, I tend to do this. So I try to optimize for things that are not important.
0: Right,
1: yeah. And yeah, I shouldn't do this. <laughs> okay, cool.
0: Um, I know you've uh, you've, you've since um, submitted your thesis and, and have, have, have left academia. But what's the, the, the future, the plan for future research with Scabbard? I guess is your group going to plan on taking the project forward? Or what's the, uh, the future goals um, for it?
1: So I mean we we didn't go f- far with these ideas, but we wanted to test to th- do different things. So the first was multi-tenancy in stream processing. So because you have these long-running applications, you may want to have multiple users in a single uh, server, and we want to see how we can ma- how we can manage all these limited resources that you have when you have multiple users. So it, now it becomes much more challenging to deal with the CPUs, the disk, the network bandwidth. So yeah, that was one of the directions. And the second one was okay, so so now we have a system that does that can persist data streams and state fast. But there's no way that you can do queries on both historical and streaming data. So you cannot really do uh, Run queries on. You cannot combine these two together, right? So you, we would l- like to have a, an approach for out-of-core processing, where you can spill things to disk. You can have indexing, but designed in a different way compared to like classical uh, relational systems, right? So that you could still have the, these low-latency requirements fulfilled in a way.
0: Yeah. So obviously, over the course of your of your PhD, you, you worked on. Numerous topics. Can you maybe tell the, the listeners about your other research and things you worked on during your time? Yeah. So,
1: research? yeah. I mean, we, we mainly focused on single node, and when we uh, b- before I want I I try to go distributed my, my time. I <laughs> did. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we we started from optimizing specific operators with simple instructions. Uh, how we can like run very efficiently uh, from a single core. Then we moved to multi-core execution with multiple sockets, and we tried to bring ideas from relational database like code generation to stream processing, uh, which was really interesting. And finally, yeah, we, we tried to to make a, sy- a single-node system at the same time fault-tolerant with the assumptions from Alien. So yeah, it, 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 we're trying to fully utilize all the resources you can find in a single node, trying to... Like, make the most out, out of it.
0: Cool. And I don't know if that's any of this question, so apologies if it catches you off guard, Not, but I was walking down the street the other day and thought, oh, this would be an interesting question. How did you go about during your PhD, and in general, I guess even in your day job today, it's very research-orientated. How do you approach idea generation and then how do you then choose what ideas to work on and select projects that are worthwhile pursuing? What's your process for that, I guess, is what I'm asking.
1: Yeah, I think I, I don't have a very good process. So... Um, I, I read a lot of papers, and I so, so as I said before, stream processing is not that mature. So usually I try to kind of not still borrow ideas, let's say, from relational databases or other like processing paradigms, and I try to adapt these ideas from from the papers that I read to a, a real time analytics uh, wor- a world, uh, like a streaming world. And I was also, so I mean, I had like a lot of ideas, most of them not very smart, but I uh, so I was also kind of lucky because I had two supervisors and I they were coming from two different worlds. So I, when I was pitching ideas to them, they also helped me helped me steer and pick what I, I was going to do. So yeah, as, as I mentioned earlier, we I don't think we did anything. I mean, th- there was novelty, but I, I don't think that we did something that, was unexpected. So, yes, as I said, we tried to, to implement code generation in stream processing. So, I mean, it, it was interesting, but, yeah, it, it, this was, for example, a project that came from relational databases.
0: What do you think is the biggest challenge in stream processing today?
1: Yeah, I think that uh, the project that I mentioned earlier about unifying stream, streaming with historical data with a way that... You can provide low latency results. I think this, this is one of the biggest challenges, because you have to deal with novel data structures for indexing, uh, novel ways of uh, and even protocols of how you, you buffer your data, because you, you don't have like, the, let's say, the, the relational database, a pattern of how you, you, you do the access right. So you ha- you have to think of what data is going to be your code data your cold data and how you evict data for example from your buffer manager. So yeah, I th- I think that this unification is very a very interesting uh, problem.
0: Cool. So uh, last question now. What's the one key thing you want the listeners to take away from this uh, this episode and your research?
1: I found this quote in Frank McSherry's slides. It goes like this. So it says you can only have a second computer once you've shown you know how to use your first one so yeah I think that this is what we're trying to to show with uh, our projects that you have to somehow think out of the box and try to redesign systems so that you achieve resource efficiency and you you exploit the hardware trends that you that uh, you can find right now so yeah that's it, yes
0: Brilliant and that's a wrap, let's end it there Thanks so much, George, for coming on the podcast. If the listener is interested to know more about George's work, then I'll put all the links to uh, all the relevant materials in the show notes. And we will see you next time for some more awesome computer science research.